Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host for today's broadcast. Well, hello and welcome to today's Truth and Liberty call-in show. This is a live production and I am so blessed to be here. I'm Karen Conrad Metcalf and I am the Vice President of Wealth Builders and I'm on the board of Truth and Liberty. And it is such a privilege and an honor to be a part of this show today. So I wanna welcome all of you and thank you for joining us. I think we've got a great show planned for you. Um, the topic today is really about the marketplace and real estate, understanding what is happening in today's market. There's so much noise out there as far as, you know, interest rates are high. Uh, people are saying that the real estate market is going to crash. So we have a real expert that is going to be on today. And so Bill, I just want to quickly give you the opportunity to say hi to everybody before we get started. Hello, good afternoon and uh, welcome. It's great to be on the show and sharing great ideas. Awesome, and just a reminder that this is a call-in show. And uh, so let me give you a little bit of information first before we get started on what is happening here at Karis Bible College and Andrew Womack Ministries. I'm always amazed at all the things that are happening here. And I'll tell you what, it is such a blessing to be a part of this ministry and such a blessing to have all of you connected with Truth and Liberty. So we've got some things coming up. Next week is the Global Ministry Ministers Conference. This is going to be power packed. And this is something that is especially for ministers. So if you are in ministry and you want to be a part of this, you want to register and you can go to awmi.net and go to events. Listen to this lineup. We've got the keynote speakers of Andrew Womack, of course, Mike and Carrie Pickett, Bob Yandian, Duane Sheriff, Pastor Bob Nichols, Pastor Greg Moore, Wendell Parr, Billy Epperhart, and it is just going to be fabulous. So again, that is October 2nd through the 6th. You can get registered. And then behind that, we've got the Women Arise Conference, and that is November 2nd to the 4th, right here at Karis Bible College. And this year's speakers are Carrie Pickett, Audrey Mack, and Elizabeth Mirren. Wow, that is going to be an amazing conference. And to learn more and to get registered for that, you can go to AWMI net and go to that events page. Just a reminder that your best viewing experience is to watch this live on the Truth and Liberty website. That's truthandliberty.net forward slash live. And it won't get censored. You'll be able to see all the other information on there. And you know, the Truth and Liberty website is one of the websites that's got a lot of valuable information. A matter of fact, when I was with Lance Walno recently, he was mentioning that he goes 
goes there to get a lot of the news that he shares. There is an incredible team that's behind the scenes working on that website. So go check it out. It's up 24 seven and you can see articles from various places that lets you know what's really happening in the world. Also, I wanna encourage you that if you are enjoying these Truth and Liberty live shows and you believe in what Truth and Liberty stands for, I wanna invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. It's called a member. And to learn more about that, you can go to truthandliberty.net and you can support this monthly so we can continue to get the word out to people. It's really making a significant difference. Well, Bill, I'm gonna read your bio just to give everybody a little understanding of what we are in for here today. It's quite impressive. And so here we go. Bill Bronchek has been practicing law and investing in real estate since the early 90s. He's been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. He's trained countless people all over the country to become financially successful, speaking to audiences of as many as 16,000 at mega events, sharing the stage with names like like Rudy Giuliani, Steve Forbes, and Colin Powell. His best-selling book, Flipping Properties, was named one of the 10 best real estate books of the year by the Chicago Tribune. William Bronchek is also the author of the highly acclaimed books, Financing Secrets of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor, Wealth Protection Secrets of a Millionaire Real Estate Investor, Defense of Real Estate Investing, and his latest work is How to Sell a House Fast in a slow real estate market. Wow, Bill, how timely is that? And if I can just say, you are also one of our real estate coaches at Wealth Builders. And so, Bill, I'm just so privileged and honored to have you as a guest on this show today. And so I'm just looking forward to hearing a little bit of an update. What is going on with the real estate market? Thank you, Karen, for that introduction. It was just like my mother wrote it. So, um, so what's going on with the real estate market? It's uh, it's kind of in flux. There's a lot of uh, competing factors going on here, and everybody's speculating: Is the market going to crash? Is it going to stall? Is it going to stall then go back up? Is it going to stall then go down? Um, you know, uh, if I could uh, uh, um, foresee exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I'd be gambling on that, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we just have to look at the best knowledge and information we have, and historically, the trends and the trends are our friend. Uh, there's the, the the bottom line is there's always an opportunity to make money in the real estate market. It depends on what you're seeing. I've been through three real estate cycles. I've invested in 12 states. I've done residential, commercial, multifamily. So I, I've been through the ups and downs, and real estate is just a, a survival game mostly. If you could survive the downturns, uh, the long-term appreciation will make you wealthy. And anyone who doubts that, just ask yourself, would you like to buy your parents' house, the one you grew up in, for the price they paid for it now. And of course, everyone would say, absolutely. Yes. Uh, so in the long term, it's a long term game. It's not get rich quick. Um, a lot of people try to do it that way. And like the stock market, if you try to get rich quick, you end up getting burnt. So what's going on is we have um, a very low number of houses for sale. We call that supply. 
and then we have fewer buyers and that's demand and basic economics 101 when you have uh, less supply than there is demand then prices will remain stable or go up and vice versa so demand has dropped significantly lately and that's because interest rates have spiked for a long time we saw interest rates below four maybe even below three percent some people got them in the twos um, now we're looking at the mid to high sevens. Now, historically, that's not really that high. The average interest rate, since they've been keeping track of it over the last 50 or 60 years, is about 7 to 8%. So we're kind of right at the normal uh, mm -hmm. for interest rates uh, on mortgages. But uh, a lot of people who were used to 3% mortgages now saying, well, I, I can't afford it at 8%. So demand has dropped, but also the number of people who already have low interest rate loans and 65% of loans out there are under 4%, 25% are under 3%. Only a small number of people with high interest rate loans. So the people who have the low interest rate loans, they're not in a rush to sell because if they're looking to purchase another property, well, then they have to pay seven, 8% interest when they're sitting on a 3% mortgage. So a lot of people, who were selling over the last few years just kind of pulled back, pulled out, and are sitting it out. So we have a few uh, few houses for sale, very few, in low inventory compared to normal. Um, in addition, we have builders who can't keep up because of supply chain issues. Um, also, people canceling contracts on new bills because <laughs> the interest rate spiked. So we have we're just we have this. The thing that's keeping the market from basically dropping or collapsing is the lack of inventory of homes for sale. But what's also at the same time stifling demand is the high interest rates. So which one is gonna give first? Uh, are interest rates <laughs> gonna go up and make it demand even lower, uh, which could drive prices down? Or might interest rates drop and then more buyers will come in increasing demand and thus increasing prices? We just don't know yet because there's so many factors worldwide that are affecting this. And of course, being an election year, you know, over the next year, the incumbent is trying to keep things good or at least looking good um, for their party. And thus, we probably won't see any change over the next year. Wow, Bill, it's so interesting. There, there is so much in the news, and um, you know, of course, we're part of Wealth Builders. Billy Epperhart is the CEO of Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College, and he recently did a webinar called, you know, something's got to give. Everything seems heated up right now. And mm -hmm. really looking at things, it would be tempting to say, oh my goodness, I'm just gonna you know, shrink back and do nothing. But we've been talking about a lot that, hey, this is not the time to shrink back and do nothing. It's really a time to get educated, understand what's going on and be ready for opportunities that are ahead. You and I remember, and many of you watching probably do too, what happened in 2008 through 2011. I was actually in banking at that time, so I lived it firsthand. And as we were going into this time, a lot of people are saying, well, we're gonna see a repeat of that time, but we actually don't think we will. And can you explain the difference between that time and today, Bill? Yes. Well, in 2008, inventory was very high. There were a lot of homes for sale, a lot of new home building. So it was an, an above average 
uh, supply curve, which is one of the reasons that we had the crash. The other reason is, is lenders realized how dumb they were being in the loans they were giving out, and then they just shut down, and that stifled the demand. And then, of course, if you have a lot of supply and not much demand, the market crashes. And which it did. We don't have the same um, uh, factors involved. Number one, we have very low inventory. Number two, lenders are are very conservative now. Very conservative. They're not doing um, the crazy loans that they did in two thousand five, six, seven, eight, where all you had to do was basically fog a mirror. <laughs> you can get a yes. loan. Um, they're not doing those uh, much anymore. Very few banks are doing what we call non-income verified, which we call NIV, which some people in the industry call liar loans because people basically lie about what they make and nobody checks and they get a loan. Uh, banks aren't doing that much. They're checking and they're very conservative and they're doing a lot of thorough uh, research and due diligence on the people, the house and so forth. So the lending practices are pretty conservative. I'd say very conservative compared to what it was in 2008. That's really encouraging, and there is a difference. I think there's a lot of people that they really feel like God has put on their heart to do real estate, but they want to make sure when they go in that they're doing it safely and doing it right, which is why we really provide a lot of guidelines for people, and there's ways to navigate through that, and Bill, you're a big part of that. But there's also a biblical basis for doing real estate. Real estate is really important to God in the land, and um, I thought it might be helpful for our audience to just get a little bit of perspective on why this is something that, you know, we feel called to real estate for many reasons, but just a little biblical perspective. Why is real estate important to God? Well, it's his way of communing with uh, his chosen people. Uh, God promised Abraham First, he said, look at the stars. I'm going to multiply you like the stars. But he promised them the land. And he promised Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses and everybody down the line the promised land. Uh, he didn't say promised treasure. He said promised land. <laughs> so okay. uh, land, biblically, is uh, something that God has always promised his, his chosen people. And in addition to that, um, land is, I mean, they said God created the, the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything. Well, there's nothing after Genesis where there's any talk about making more land. <laughs> so there's a limited supply of it. Uh, and there's no uh, prophecy or anything about God creating uh, more, more lots of land on earth. There's only so much uh, that they made it of it, and there's an existing supply. So uh, it becomes more and more valuable as there are more and more demand for it, more and more people. Yeah, that's really good. And you know, legacy and generational wealth is important. And one of the main ways that God provides that is through land. I know in my experience, I, I grew up, I mean, we had a farm, but I didn't really understand real estate. And being a widow, um, if I would have known what I know now back then, Wow, I, it would have been amazing. You know, thankfully we got connected with this, uh, got married, David Metcalf. We, we've been doing real estate really just for about two years with our family and applying the principles that we learned from Billy and Becky Eberhardt and at Wealth Builders has really allowed us to catapult. I mean, our life has just changed dramatically. We've gone from really just a primary dwelling to nine properties in two years and really securing what I would say is generational wealth for 
for our family, and that is really important. And um, Bill, one of the things we visited about is that generational wealth, if you look at what happens in the when they pass it on to the first or the next generation, 70% of the wealth that has been created is lost in the next generation. 90% is lost in two generations. And that really got me like, wait, I wanna know about this because we wanna teach and train our children and our grandchildren to be able to carry on this legacy. Another quote that I think is really powerful from Oral Roberts uh, that kind of just helps to helps us understand why this is important. He said, whoever controls the finances in an area controls the spiritual climate. When we look at where most wealth is built, it's built through real estate. And so that connection with what you described as well as, wow, we wanna have an influence in our communities. We wanna have an influence in our state, in our nation and around the world. Real estate is one of those ways that we can build wealth, connect with people and secure that legacy down the road. Um, so Bill, if you were to help people to understand the importance of generosity generational wealth and legacy, why would real estate be a good choice for people to look into? Well, Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, i.e. his grandchildren. But what you touched on is very important. It's not just leaving it to them, it's teaching them. It's teaching them to be stewards of that, of that land. Uh, unfortunately, what you said is true. A lot of people will squander their inheritances because if, if you or I set up uh, an estate with, with you know, millions of dollars worth of property and then we leave it to our children and grandchildren with no instructions, what are they gonna do? Well, they're gonna sell it. They're gonna cash it all out and they're probably gonna spend it or, or do something foolish with it that, that they don't know what they're doing. So it's important for for people watching is not just creating the wealth, but um, is uh, allowing it to sustain itself generation after generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And real estate, there's a lot of different investments that people make. Stock, you know, stock market. We've got wealth builders investments, so we certainly support diversification with the stock market. Some people are investing in gold businesses, but real estate has some very unique attributes for building wealth and. Uh, bringing cash flow and appreciation. Can you just cover some of the things that are unique about real estate and why it is a good investment from a practical perspective as well as a spiritual one? Yeah, they say real estate is the ideal investment. So you have uh, income, you can create income from the property by renting it out. You can get D, depreciation, which is a tax write-off, a very important one. E is equity, and you get equity from, from uh, buying property below its current value, and then it can go up in value. A is appreciation. If you buy in the right areas and the right types of properties, they go up in value over the long term. They go up and down in the short term, but in the long term, they, they go up in value almost without exception, at or better than the pace of inflation. And finally, L, leverage. You get to buy a lot of real estate with a little bit of money. 
Uh, it's hard to do that safely in the stock market. You can do it. I mean, people people hedge in the stock market that way, but it, it can be risky if you really don't know what you're doing. Whereas in real estate, it's standard practice to leverage. I mean, Donald Trump, of course, you know, the the king of leverage, uh, owns billions of dollars of commercial real estate by leveraging, by borrowing from banks and lenders and investors. And I know biblically, a lot of people are taught get out of debt, debt is bad, debt is horrible, which when we're talking about consumer debt, that is true. But in the business sense, you have to be able to leverage because you get a much better return when you control more real estate with less money over the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Do you know, Bill, one of the trends that I've been reading about and uh, is really concerning is companies like BlackRock and other companies coming in and buying up property. Mm -hmm. And I've read articles. Um, it just seems like there is a movement in our country to almost remove home ownership from individuals and it going into the hands of these companies, which to me seems like we're going down a path of socialism, communism. That's kind of how those things start to move. Right. So I, is this a real thing? I mean, is is this really happening out there? Absolutely. Hedge funds are going out and buying up homes. It's starting to decline now that the market has changed a little bit. But in the past five to 10 years, there have been a huge increase in corporate purchases of real estate, which was competing with ordinary home buyers for a long time. And that's why you saw this overbidding for houses and this crazy frenzy where there was just not enough properties for all the buyers that wanted to buy houses. Uh, that's cooling off a little bit, but still, there's a good portion of Wall Street buyers who are buying up homes. And it's funny because I saw a video in 2009, um, which uh, they, these Wall Street geniuses all were talking about, gee, if there's a way in this market where everything has crashed, that we can just buy up single family homes and, and figure out a way to, to logistically manage them, it would be really profitable. <laughs> so that actually became true. Uh, corporate uh, buyers are doing that and they're doing it in mass. Yeah, and when we look ahead as to, um, you know, the opportunity that we're seeing in the market in the next few months, and really, it, it's actually here now if you buy right. Uh, one of the things that we have vacation rentals, you know that, and we've got buy and holds, we've got couple flips going. And as I was studying property, uh, because we're always looking at acquiring, is I was looking at the history of what people bought the house for, right. right? It's always interesting. And I was looking at this property down in Cocoa Beach, which is where we personally like to invest. And it was on the market, let's say for $800,000. And I just out of curiosity, I was like, you know what? I wanna check to see what they bought that for. So sure enough, it was in that 2008 timeframe. They mm. bought it for about $300,000. Okay, and they're putting it on the market for about 800,000. Billy likes to say one of the things he mentions is if you can ride out two real estate, basically, um, I don't know what you would call it, markets Cycle. or cycles. Yeah, two real estate cycles. You're really getting yourself in a good position. And then I started thinking back to where was my mentality in that 2008? 
My right. mentality was, um, it was fearful, like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't want to buy now, the market's crashing. And now with that perspective and just the wisdom, the understanding and the knowledge that we've received through Billy and Becky and, and really a revelation of the word about how God wants us wealthy, not to consume upon ourselves, but to be a blessing. I was like, wow, if I would have known that then, right? I would have been able to go in and leverage that knowledge. And I would be on the other side of having these properties that are two times of value. And then I had this thought like, hey, wait a minute. I think we're going into a time where those opportunities are here. And so it's always a struggle, you know, in fear or faith. And so I would just love, um, we have just a few minutes left in this segment. I would love for you to share a little bit on that. You know, you have this great analogy of the 10 spies. Uh, and if you could just share that, I think it'd be helpful for people to actually see like, hey, wait a minute, I think I need to look at this and look for the opportunities. That's right. You, you can look at the market as the 12 spies in Exodus looked at the promised land. If you remember, God sent in one spy from each of the 12 tribes, and 10 of the 12 came back and said, oh, they're giants. We can't take them. We're just grasshoppers. Well, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, I don't care how big they are. God is with us, and this is the land of milk and honey. It's opportunity. So that, so. Of course, they threw rocks at them when they said that, and they decided not to go. <laughs> and that's why they spent 40 years in the desert. That's another story for another time. But it, <laughs> how you look at the market, do you look at it as giants, interest rates, the economy, the election, world factors, Ukraine, blah, 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 or do you see the promised land? Do you see God's blessing and God being with you to take advantage of the opportunities that exist in today's real estate market? Mm -hmm. That's really good. You know, I was uh, visiting with a student this morning. I did just a little announcement in chapel. And uh, afterwards, she came up to me and she had been at the Wealth Builders events and just kind of got a hold of this. Like, yeah, you know what? This is a way to fund my ministry because that's something we're seeing too. If you want to fund a ministry, uh, of course, in addition to being a blessing to your family and the community, real estate is a very viable way to do that. Well, anyway, she came running up and she said, I just have to tell you. She said, Karen, we have been listening to this. We're listening to all the podcasts. We're at the Wealth Builders conferences. And she's got this group of people that got it and they are doing ministry, starting businesses, uh, acquiring properties and starting to walk this out. And it's all to provide ministry to people. So I think it's something too, that in addition to building wealth for our families, this is a great opportunity to be able to give to ministries like Truth and Liberty, Andrew Womack Ministries, Karis Bible College, uh, but also a way to fund your ministry if it's uh, you know difficult to get donations or maybe you're just looking for a passive income way to bring that income to support the, sure. the work that God has put on your heart. And so when we come back, Bill, um, we're gonna be taking some questions. And so I wanna encourage all of you that you can call in and we'll answer as many questions as we can. Here's a phone number. It's 719-619-619. 
1-800-242-2341. And um, you can ask us questions about real estate, just you know, any perspective on this subject, uh, just wealth in general. We'll be going into more details in this next segment to really break down the different types of real estate, uh, even diversification of real estate, and then talk about some financing as well. Because we realize, I think Billy even has this quote, he says that you know, real estate is financing. And uh, Bill, maybe you could just give them a little bit of insight into some of the creative financing things that we'll be sharing in the next segment. Yes, there's many ways to buy properties and finance them without traditional bank loans, especially in commercial and multifamily and residential as well. So if you don't wanna borrow at 8% interest, and I don't blame you, or you're, you have an inability to qualify for a loan because you're self-employed, uh, stay tuned. Yeah, that is great. So we'll talk about uh, creative financing, where we'll talk about vacation rentals, something called BRRRS. Um, there's actually a story out there. It is one of the financial testimonies on Andrew's platform about a couple that heard Billy talk in England, and they applied this, and they're on I don't know, maybe eight, 10, 12 renovations. And so this not only works in the United States, but if you apply this, it works around the world. And uh, we'll be sharing some stories with you too on just some of the impact that we've seen personally, praying for people that are working on our properties. Uh, so it is definitely about building wealth, but it is about ministry and fulfilling God's purpose in our lives as well. So we'll go for a break and we'll be back and we'll take your questions. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey everybody, Richard Harris here. I wanted to let you know that the Truth and Liberty live call-in show is now on Twitter. You can watch us there at 3.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Eastern Time, five days a week. Just go and follow us on Twitter at Truth and Liberty Co. That's C-O. And remember, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So don't miss out. Watch us live on Twitter. Welcome back. Well, this has been a really fun discussion and uh, we're getting some you know, great opportunities to share with you information on real estate. And I really appreciate this format because we can unpack some things. We have enough time, Bill, which is really nice. And again, I just wanna remind you, if you've got a question, you can call in at 719-619-2341. So before break, uh, Bill, we are talking about the different types of real estate investments. There's 
a lot of acronyms in real estate, just like there's a lot of acronyms in banking and things too. So we throw out terms like BRRRS, you know, HELOCs, things like that. Uh, but can you just share with us some of the main ways that people can invest in real estate? Oh gosh, there's so many, but the major ones would be single family homes and condominiums that you can buy, fix and sell or buy, fix and rent. Then we have multifamily, which is two or more units, uh, all the way up to hundreds of units. Uh, some people just call those apartment buildings, and sometimes they're small units like triplexes and duplexes and so forth. We've got uh, commercial real estate, uh, industrial real estate, self-storage facilities, um, RV parks. There's just so many ways to make money in real estate. Um, you could be a landlord, you could be a tenant and actually make money uh, not owning the land at all, not owning the land at all, but just having a right to possess it and then subletting it out to somebody else for residential or commercial purposes. So there's so many ways to make money in real estate. Yeah, there is one of the things that people are really interested in, and I think it's because, well, two areas. I think it's because it's a kind of transformation and also hospitality. I mean, those are God-given things, and right. that's fix and flips and vacation rentals. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I love to do flips because I like the design and all that. It's so mm -hmm. much fun, and really, it does, like, it brings transformation, which I think does something for our souls, mm -hmm. right? and is a blessing and you can see something that was um, not pretty or maybe like like left behind, not cared for, kind of come to life and be a blessing for a family. But there are some things with fix and flips. It's not as easy as what HGTV portrays. Uh -oh. And so if you could just give us a, you know, a little bit of a rundown on what to look for for fix and flips and, you know, especially going into this market, is it viable? And if it is, what should we be looking for to make sure that we buy correctly? Well, in the TV shows like HGTV, when they show the flips, they're, they're always talking in broad, gross numbers. So they say they bought a property for, for 500000 and they put 100000 in renovations. And that's, that's 600 and they sold it for 800 and they made 200 Well, there's a real estate agent in the show, and I don't know about in TV land, but in the real world, it, real estate agents get paid. <laughs> so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't $200,000 profit. That was the gross number. The net minus the real estate commissions and all the other uh, fees and expenses and closing costs and holding costs that are involved, it, the, the net profit is much, much less than you really think it is. So understand that there are what we call soft costs or hidden costs, not um, fix, fixing up things or materials or labor, but things like permits and and, and uh, having a, a roll off for all the uh, extra material that you tore out of the house. And um, you've got to pay contractors and sometimes you have to pay more than one when the first one didn't do the job right. Um, there's, there's lots of things that can go wrong uh, in it. And uh, it's not quite as easy as it looks, but it is doable if you get the right deal. Yeah. And most people, and think they could just go in and just paint and carpet and put new appliances and flip it for a big profit. There's a lot of people who can do that. So you're competing with a lot of people over those houses. If you go to the more uh, expensive, uh, 
bigger projects where you do major renovations, maybe even add an addition, maybe even add a second uh, accessory, we call an accessory dwelling, like a mother-in-law apartment in back above the garage or, or separate uh, building, you can really make money uh, improving the value of property in flips. Mm. Yeah, I, I think um, they can be a really important part of our real estate strategy in that they kind of provide that infusion of cash. But it's really important that you get the right ARV, which is the after repair value, right. that you do understand your costs. And then from there, I mean, I think to add 10 or 15 percent, we talk about something called the rule of 70. Uh, and we've actually got an event coming up. If you're interested in learning about real estate, I want to let you know about this. It is um, October 13th through the 15th. It's in Denver and it's a Wealth Builders real estate event. You can join live stream or in person uh, so you can be part of that learn more at wealthbuilders.org forward slash events um, but this is a time where I think that there's opportunities for flips if you do it right and there's a lot of people that were in the market because you really didn't have to do much to succeed at a flip because the rates or the values were going up so fast right. but now you really have to know your numbers and you have to be able to actually execute on it and you mentioned something permits right it's really important that you get permits and you do things the right way. Another thing that people are very interested in is vacation rentals. Mm -hmm. And uh, we personally do vacation rentals. Those are also a fair amount of work. They're, they're definitely um, a lot of hands-on. You have to pay attention to the culture in the market. You have to look at the HOA guidelines. But that's an industry that is projected to grow to about 115 billion by the year of about 2030. And it was in the 10 to 15 billion range just a couple years ago. So Bill, what is your take on vacation rentals? Why do people love them so much? And why are some communities, uh, you know, passing things to restrict vacation rentals? Well, investors love them because you can get two, three, four times the rent monthly from short-term rentals than you can from a long-term rental. Uh, but it is, of course, two, three, four, five, maybe 10 times the work uh, <laughs> because you're only renting by uh, the weekend or sometimes by the week. So you're constantly turning over and you have, it's like a hotel business, really. Um, you, you've got to clean, you got to provide clean sheets and so forth and be uh, on call for the, you know, the regular things that do happen and unfortunately uh, uh, do go wrong in that business. Having said that, um, there, if you know what you're doing, and I would probably recommend most people start, don't do it yourself. Maybe hire a professional management company. And now they're going to take about 30%, which is pretty stiff. But it, it's worth it in the beginning because if you don't know what you're doing, you can get yourself in trouble. Plus, remember when you're starting out, you have no history on Airbnb. Who's going to rent from you? Especially if you're trying to ask the same price as someone who's a super host, you know, and has hundreds of reviews and five-star ratings. So if you've got zero ratings and zero reviews, you're going to have to drop the price in the beginning to compete until you have a history of reviews. A lot of people don't realize that, that it's not quite as simple as it looks. Having said that, it can be very profitable. A lot of people now, because it's, be it's becoming in some areas, um, uh, very competitive. There's too many of them, so it's 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 forcing people to drop 
they're they're asking uh, rental prices for the weekends and the weeks. So what a lot of people are doing is they're turning to intermediate term rentals, which is like corporate rentals, traveling nurses, corporate executives might rent it for three months at a time furnished, which you don't get quite as much money as you do from short term rental vacation rentals, but you still get more than you do if you rented it by the year. Yeah, that's so helpful. Uh, we've got a call coming in from Ken. And Ken, thank you so much for calling in. He's got a great question on one of our local markets. Ken, welcome. Hey, how are you doing today? Great. How are you doing? Very good. I good. Thank you all taking my call. Absolutely. Are you looking so, at my question now? We are. We are ready for your question. I can see what it's about. It's going to be a really uh, interesting one and relevant to the market that we are sitting in today. So go ahead, Ken. Yeah, so um, I, I moved here from North Carolina to Woodland Park, and the market is drastically different. So I'm used to seeing a, a $350,000 to $400,000 house in North Carolina now being an $800,000 house in this area. But um, I'm interested about an off-market house that I have an opportunity for that I think I can get it for about three hundred to 320000 The ARV on it is $800,000, uh, but I believe I'm probably going to be looking at two hundred to $230,000 worth of rehab costs. So I'm um, wanting to know in this market, um, would, would you believe that that's a – a good opportunity. So I'd basically be in two hundred or five hundred twenty thousand for a house that's worth upward of eight hundred thousand today. Wow, that's great, Bill. Why don't you start out uh, responding to Ken? Right uh, now, f first of all. Uh, kudos to you for finding an off-market property, meaning one that's not listed with a real estate agent. Uh, ones that are listed with real estate agents kind of tough to get a really good deal because everybody has their eyeballs on it. Um, what you've got is, a, is an individual who hasn't listed it yet or uh, somehow you got in touch with and you're making a deal with, and by omitting the realtor commission, which is 6% right off the top, you're making a profit, but you got it way below that, so that's great. Um, it looks like if it's 800 minus 520, sounds like 280,000 in profit, but remember, as I discussed earlier, that's gross profit, it's not net profit, uh, because it's gonna cost you money for a lot of other things like closing costs, and unless you have your own cash to fund all this, you're gonna have to borrow it at pretty high interest rates for these types of projects. Um, you're gonna have to, uh, I don't know if you're a contractor, or you're gonna have to hire a contractor to oversee it, which increases the cost of everything too. And then you have to ask yourself, is it really gonna sell for 800,000 in three, four, five, six months, whatever it takes you to get it done? Um, and that's anybody's guess. So the market could by next spring, when you get it back on the market again, uh, could drop by then. So it's only worth 750. Um, so you have to assume very conservative resale values because we really just don't know what the real values are sometimes in neighborhoods, and especially in a place like Woodland Park where it's not very uniform. Everything is kind of unique um, unless it's in a, a subdivision where everything's built around the same time. Most houses in that area, they go from one or two bedroom shacks to mansions. 
<laughs> so it's hard to get a real sense of what is my house going to sell for and having a good real estate broker really nail that down for you so that you're really tight on that resale number is going to be very, very important because you're only working on, and most investors who do fix and flips are only working on about a 15% margin. So if, you're, if your price is off by 10%, your profit just went down to 5%. You know, and if something else goes wrong, like with the contractor not doing their job, you could be reaching in your pocket to sell the house. So I'm not trying to scare you away from the deal. It sounds on its face like a pretty darn good deal. Uh, just be conservative. Yeah, and with that, Bill, if you know when people are going in, what sort of they have the ARV today, but is there a percentage that you would recommend for people to just kind of take off the top? Uh, is is there something standard? I know it's probably unique to every market, but since Ken is calling in Woodland Park, do you have a percentage you would recommend? It's hard to say because we all have to take into account the seasonal fluctuation. So it is now end of September. If you buy a property now and fix it up, it's probably not gonna be ready to be resold given the scope of the rehab he's talking about until March. Um, March is better to sell than uh, January or especially yeah. December. Well, during the holidays, everything is dead. No one's looking really. So prices tend to drop during the winter months and then pick up again in the spring, and then they peak out in the summer. So he may hold it a little longer, maybe maybe to April, May, until, until things really start to cook. Unless, of course, something in the market we don't expect happens, uh, which you should always <laughs> expect the unexpected. <laughs> uh, interest rates could go up to nine or ten, and that could cause that eight hundred thousand value to drop. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm not trying to talk them out of it or anyone else listening. Just be conservative on what you think this thing's going to sell for in the future. Yeah, and I do think that if we're sharp on those numbers, there's going to be opportunities that other people aren't going to be able to see. We're not going to overpay. We're not going to overimprove. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, Ken, I, I think that sounds like a really great opportunity oh, to yeah. really dig into and look at the numbers. Uh, and I think it's encouraging. Did you have any follow-up on that, Ken? Yes. Um, so I left out the fact that the the uh, $300,000 would be seller finance, and I would bring a joint venture pro par partner in on the $225,000, and I would live in it, and except for the HVAC, plumbing, and electrician, which um, I would outsource all the other work I'd do myself. And then we'd put it up for sale in May of 2025. 2025. Oh, okay. Well, there's lots of <laughs> lots of opportunities there. Uh, first of all, if you don't have to fork out um, cash or borrow it at high interest rates, so you're getting the seller to be the bank basically on part of it, and getting an investor partner to put up the rest, that reduces your risk, reduces your cost, but it also reduces your profit because you're you're splitting. I assume the net profit with this person who's putting up the money. Um, as opposed to borrowing it, uh, which might only cost you 25% of your profit. So think about that one uh, when you do your numbers. Uh, unless that partner has something else they bring to the table, money is not that hard to find. Even at 12% interest or 13% interest, mm -hmm. that's still cheaper than giving up half your profit. Um, when you may want to think about living there till 2026, because then it becomes a principal residence. And if you've lived there two of the last five years, 
there's no capital gains tax for the first $250,000 of profit. Nice. Yeah, that's really good. And Ken, you didn't ask this, but I just heard like with partners and things coming in and Bill being an attorney, um, can you just share a little bit, Bill, like what legal setup might he want to be thinking about to go into a deal like right. that with somebody? Well, there's a lot of moving parts there. Whatever you do with someone, get it in writing. That's the best advice I can give you. And and have someone draw it up, maybe an attorney uh, who can really cover the things that you don't know that you don't know that could come up in a scenario like this, because it's a common one, but a lot of people will be penny wise and pound foolish and dealing in an $800,000 project, say, well, I'm not gonna pay an attorney $3,000. I'll just download a form off the internet and we'll do it ourselves. Oh, that, that's, you know, like the muffler man used to say, you could pay me now or you can pay me later. <laughs> and trust me, it costs a lot later. So I would make sure you get some really tight uh, written agreement uh, between the two of you to make sure that you have a clear expectation of who's going to do what and what happens if someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do. That is wise counsel, and I appreciate the input. Great. Ken, thank you so much for the question, and I'd love to hear a follow-up on that deal. It just sounds like an amazing opportunity, yeah. and uh, I'm really glad you called in. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Bill, one of the other things that people think about is how can we go into a market and stay safe? And one of the things that we look at, we have several criteria that we have people follow mm -hmm. for guidelines, but there's something called the median household income. Mm -hmm. uh, how important, first of all, explain what that is and how people can find that. And why is that an important metric that people need to consider, especially maybe going into investing for the first time? Well, if you're planning on going into a market where the median household income is much lower than the cost to carry a mortgage or to rent if you're going to rent it out. Uh, affordability is an issue. California is like that. So California, your typical um, three-bedroom, two-bath, 1960s ranch could be a million dollars. And it's not going to rent for 10,000 a month. Uh, you're lucky if you get four grand, 3,500, maybe even three grand a month. So in terms of affordability, people cannot afford a 10,000 a month. That's why they're not paying it. Um, you can't get that kind of rent. In California, you might, if you bought the house, your mortgage might be 4,500 a month and you can only rent it for 3,000 a month. So you're only losing 1,500 a month. But on the upside, you could lose 20,000 a year for five years, that's 100 grand, and then five years later sell it for a, a $400,000 profit <laughs> and get your, you know, get your, your, your losses back and then some. Uh, it's not a strategy I would recommend for everybody. It'd be nice to at least break even in the meantime so you're not reaching in your pocket. Um, so it, the affordability of a neighborhood is important. Now, if we went strictly by house prices versus um, median incomes, we could go to a place like Detroit, where you can buy houses for under $50,000 and rent them really well. But they're probably not going to go up in value much. They're tough neighborhoods, um, and it doesn't have much going for the economy there. It's a compromise. You have to look at the stability of the city you're investing or the neighborhood you're investing versus the values long term 
versus the income that it provides and balance those out and determine you know what, what's my what's my goal here is it income is it long-term wealth is it stability is it uh, um, limiting my risk and you have to balance all those factors together and determine what's the best fit yeah there's so many different options and median income is that that part that sort of keeps you safe what people can afford uh, so that if you did have to sell it, that you would be able to at least market it to the mass amount of people rather than find that finding that high-end buyer. But there's another right. guideline that we talk about, and it you know it's just a general guideline. But if you can look for a property that you can get one percent in monthly rent, so what I mean by that is if you find a property for $150,000, you wanna look that you can earn around $1,500 in gross rent. And then of course you need to do your calculations on net. And we encourage you to really look for a minimum of $300 a month in net cash flow. So there's multiple guidelines that keep you kind of safe. Sure. Another one that we share is the cash on cash return. And that is you wanna land if you can between 10 and 20% percent. So basically, after uh, after calculating the amount of money that you put into the deal, and then comparing that to your net income after you have a mortgage and that to deduct. So if I put $20,000 into a property, I want to have a net income of between at least two to $3,000 a year. So we really give you with Wealth Builders, Billy has laid out so many different things to help you to know how to invest and go in and really feel safe with it. We call it like safety rails. Um, we have a coaching program, Bill, that we're a part of that we've got uh, many people that are involved a lot of people that are connected with this ministry that just really felt a passion for doing real estate and they wanted to do it right. Uh, we have a coaching program where we help people. We also have something called, it's new, and you're a part of this, Bill, we have a master class. And this is at a special price right now. It's over 10 courses. Each course has multiple lessons in it. And it's a great way to really get the basics of understanding in all these various topics. And if you want to learn more about that, go to wealthbuilders.org forward slash masterclass. All right, so we've talked about the benefits of real estate, but we have not really talked about the tax savings benefits of real estate, which, you know, Bill, you're an attorney, but really you're like the most knowledgeable in taxes of anybody I know, including CPAs. Uh, so why do we want to look at real estate from a tax saving perspective? Right. One of the factors shouldn't be the only one, uh, but one of the factors is you get to depreciate on paper the structure of a home. So there's land and then there's the, the structure built on top of it. Land goes up in value. The whole thing goes up in value as a package in the long term. But for tax purposes, we get to depreciate the structure as it wears out. And that for residential real estate is over 27 years you get a, a straight line depreciation where you get X dollars a month that you get to take a tax deduction for, even though you didn't actually pay it, you get a deduction for it. So you could be making it, as you said, two, 3,000 a year, but on paper losing 1,000 a year, which is like making more money because if you're not paying taxes on the money, it's, it's tax-free uh, in essence as you're collecting each year. And if you have losses that are substantial, sometimes you can use those losses to offset income from another business or other other investments 
or maybe even your job, your W-2. Yeah, I think a lot of people, if you've got taxes and you're looking for a way to shelter some of that income, real estate is definitely something to pursue. You know, there's some statistics out there. You might know more about this, but doctors and dentists who are very high earners, uh, we hear stories about them that, that when they go on to be with the Lord, they're, they're broke. I mean, they don't have the money. And I think too, there's, there's something in this when your money has purpose and you understand the biblical perspective of it, you're building generational wealth, you're having an impact on the community. When you assign purpose to that money, real estate is such a great option. And I know a lot of times, um, maybe we were a high W-2 earner, maybe we make a lot of money, but what can happen is we can end up spending up to the amount that we earn. But when you assign, we, we call it, Dave calls it this, like each of our properties has an assignment, okay? Mm -hmm. For that season. And when we take that money and we have an assignment for it that lines up with God's purpose for our life, it's really amazing how easy it is to say, you know what? I'm not gonna spend this you know, amount of money on this right now because that money has a purpose and I wanna get this property where it has a purpose. And um, I think that that helps people too, that when you make a lot of money, it's definitely a blessing, but really building wealth is not about income. Building wealth is what you do with that income that builds wealth for you and your legacy. And so we just have a couple minutes left on uh, this segment, but Bill, can you comment on that? And um, I know like, I don't know how many properties you own. I have an idea. I won't say it unless you, you tell people that it's comfortable, but it's a lot. Let me just tell you, it's more than you could probably imagine. And you're an attorney, which is a very high earning job. So maybe we could close out this segment with your little story about why you got into real estate at the closing table. Right. Well, I did my first closing uh, in about 1990, I think it was 1991 or 1992. And um, a, a real estate agent friend of mine asked me if I could represent his clients at a closing. And I said, sure, what do I do? And he's like, you went to law school, didn't you? I said, yeah, but they didn't really teach you anything specific <laughs> like this. I said, well, I think I know what I can, I'm doing. I'll, I'll just like bluff my way through it. And I did, and I it was at a bank closing table and I figured whatever the bank wrote up, they weren't gonna change it. So I just said, okay, sign that standard form. And I noticed at the end of the closing, something interesting, everyone, all these people were around got checks, brokers and seller, buyer, this person, that person. And guess whose check was the smallest? The guy with the most education. <laughs> Me. I said, what's wrong here? I realized I'm sitting on the wrong side of the closing table. <laughs> that is so interesting. And that was encouraging to me too, because um, I think too, like um, Levi, he went to Karis Bible College. And when, when he came here, my family, who's got a history in banking and everything thought, mm -hmm. what is he doing, right? But he got the foundation in the word of God. He went to the business school. And when you go into real estate, you don't need that four-year degree. And it is a big opportunity. So him and Carly, they're doing it full time for our family and it's just been a real blessing. Okay, so this is, we're gonna close out this segment. We've got one more segment to go. I see we've got a caller, we'll be talking to you and uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. We gotta stop looking at this word as someday. We gotta look at it, it is for now. And the Spirit of God 
God. Don't you think he's big enough to teach you, to show you how to do things? Stop thinking that one day when I am super spiritual or when I have the money I need. No, start doing what he called you to do right now with the strength you have. So Father, we say yes to that today. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I wanna remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. We are the antidote for what's happening in this world. But you need to see beyond the physical, and I believe that the greatest days of the church are ahead. God has a word for you, God has a plan for you, and God is raising up an army that knows how to fight the right fight the right way. Welcome back to today's Truth and Liberty live call-in show. We're talking about real estate and we have the most amazing real estate attorney who's right here in Colorado, Bill Bronchek. Bill, thanks so much for being on here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. It's been really fun talking about real estate and taking some questions. Uh, and I, I wanna let everybody know that Bill is local here. And I think they're putting something up in the lower thirds. If you wanna reach out to him, his contact information is bill at bronchicklaw.com and your website is bronchicklaw.com. And so you can definitely check out all his information. He's got a lot of content out there. You can also see him at all of our Wealth Builders events. And um, you know, this really is a calling for us. We really feel that way to help people, God's people to build wealth for purposes of the kingdom. And I just wanna remind everybody, Deuteronomy 8.18 just reminds us that, you know, God gives us the ability to create wealth. I didn't know or understand that wealth is created or produced. Bill, this is gonna sound funny, but I used to think that for me to get wealth, I had to take it from somewhere else or someone else. Right. But God gave us the ability to produce wealth for purposes of expanding the kingdom. And he made this promise to us and for generations. And so while we're talking a lot about real estate and definitely there, there is um, wealth that comes in, it gives us personally the ability to fulfill the purpose that God has in our life for our families and for the communities and the areas that we've been called to. Uh, so we have got a question here. We've got a call in from Kim, who is a partner with Truth and Liberty. Kim, thank you so much, first of all, for being a member of Truth and Liberty and for supporting this show. And welcome to the show. And you have got a question on real estate. Kim, are you there? I'm not hearing you. Yeah, can you hear me now? I sure can. Thank you again for calling in. We're ready for your question. Okay. Um, so we own a piece of property in California, unfortunately, and um, <laughs> on it was a cabin and we own it with uh, a bunch of different family members. One of the family members um, burned the cabin down and it did not have insurance on it. 
So we want, we're trying to get out of this situation with the family members. And so we have finally got one of the family members that buys out. Now, it's not worth much. It's not worth it. The cabin's gone. So we were going to have that over our and um, pursue asking the other person down to maybe give it now that are obvious that we don't have to go through. And I think is it okay if we didn't go after him, would we be able to take that if they lost Now, Kim, I got the I got the gist of part of it at least. I was just going to ask that Kim, you're going in and out, and we, that's what I was wondering if you could catch that, Bill. So that's awesome. Yes. Maybe well, maybe just like restate her question so people can kind of track. It sounds it. like she had some land in California owned by uh, her, uh, her and some family members, um, and there was a cabin that burned down. And the question I think she was asking was, can she take? Uh, a taxable loss for that cabin. Well, um, the loss isn't really recognized until you sell it. So if it was purchased, let's say, or inherited, uh, you have a starting point, which, which we call a basis. Um, if, if, for example, the basis was 200,000 and then it was sold for 50,000 because it doesn't have a cabin anymore, well, that's a $150,000 loss. But that loss is what we call a capital loss. It's not an ordinary loss, and it can only be used to offset a capital gain, which would be something like you know selling another property or selling a stock or something like that. Um, unless it was in current use uh, as a rental property, then you really don't take that loss till later. Um, and the other question I think she was asking was, is it worth rebuilding the cabin before they sell it? which is really a judgment call depending on the numbers. You have to look at what is it gonna to cost to rebuild it versus how much more will you get than it is as vacant land. So maybe get an appraiser out there to say, or and or a real estate agent to determine what is it worth just as land and what is it worth with a cabin and what it's gonna to cost to build that cabin. Yeah, that's a great question because in some areas, it's almost better just to leave it without it because the dwelling is not worth that much compared to the land. Right. But one thing I didn't catch, and Kim, I don't know if you've got better coverage now or not, but was the cabin insured? Because wouldn't no, there she be... she said it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't insured. It was I didn't catch insured. that. Yeah, I heard that. It was not insured. Okay. How would they unwind something like this if they're owning it joint? It sounds like with family members. Yeah. What are your options in a situation like that? Um, you have to agree on a buyout, basically, to buy out the other owners uh, for the equity that they have as a co-owner in the property. Because everybody, if you're co-owners, you, mm -hmm. you all have a right to, to possess it. They, but if they're not agreeing on who uses it, what, and when, <laughs> yes. it, it can be a disaster. Um, and this is a part of, again, generational wealth planning. Um, it may have been something that was left to them as siblings by their parents or grandparents uh, without any real thought as to, well, what if mm -hmm. something like this happens? 
You know, that that is uh, that leads to another question. I think, you know, everybody wants to be able to pass things on cleanly to their kids that they don't. I mean, I'm sure this I'm sure the Thanksgiving dinner with the family is a little <laughs> rocky, right? With things like this. So, you know, for people that have property and they they don't want something like this to happen or, you know, for people to sort of be stuck with their siblings on something like this. What mm -hmm. are some options for people from a legal perspective to be able to pass on property without mm -hmm. getting themselves in a situation like Kim just described? Well, it, it could be left in, in an LLC or a trust with provisions for buyout that are spelled out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to buy someone else, someone wants out, this is what you get and this is the formula and here's how you're paid. Are you paid in cash or are you paid in payments? Is there interest on the payments and so forth? And how do we measure the value of the buyout? A good written agreement could have spelled this all out cleanly uh, before, if it was passed on, um, to prevent some some sort of uh, dispute. The other thing is to, uh, I know a lot of people like to leave something to the family and keep it in the family. But if you've got four or five siblings, it's inevitably going to be a fight. Um, unless it's something really desirable that they all and they all get along wonderfully which is <laughs> very very rare um in today's society but uh it might be simpler to, to say okay i leave this property to this person and i leave this asset to the other person rather than just saying i leave everything you know jointly to all my kids mm -hmm. wow that's really helpful okay just switching gears a bit here uh, you know, the the current administration, I mean, I think we can all look at it in many ways, look at where we're at compared to where we were. And let's just say that, you know, things are pretty rough. And mm -hmm. one of the recent things that President Biden has come out with is this desire to ban gas powered appliances. OK. And so, Bill, I mean, some of these things that are being banned or threatened to be banned, it's just really hard to understand. Can you just give an idea? Like, what do you think is at the root of this? And if some of these things start to take hold, will it have an impact on real estate? Oh, it will dramatically. If you have a if you have um, I mean, everybody just about out there wants a gas stove versus a, uh, an electric okay. stove. So if you can't do that, if you can't have a gas stove, you have to reset it up for an electric, which is less valuable to the property. Or if there's other things like, um, let's say you have a gas furnace or maybe other things that are gas powered. I think a lot of the stuff is talk. It's pandering to the, you know, the far left wing of his base, because I don't think in reality um, he's going to get something like that passed, because even a majority of Democrats have constituents who vote for them that have gas stoves and do not want something like this. It's only the kind of fringe people, I think, that that, that are that are pushing uh, the environmental uh, kind of, I don't know the best way to put it, but uh, extreme uh, measures, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't I don't think something like that gets passed. Yeah, that, that's one of those things. I mean, this is going to be my opinion, but really, my goodness, you're going after gas stoves, but you have a private jet. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, right. Oh, my goodness. I think it just makes things a little more difficult, maybe puts fear in people's mind a bit, yeah. maybe a control yeah. thing. Um, but along those lines, too, 
with this administration and with the interest rates, there's been some changes in the underwriting of Fannie and Freddie loans, FHA, that mm. some of the things actually try to um, hurt people in a way that have good credit. And yes. I, I know with some of those changes, can you just walk us through some of the things that we we need to be aware of? And if Fannie and Freddie and FHA, if they keep continuing to go down that path, there's always a way that, you know, the market's going to fill that gap. And we're starting to see a little bit of that right now. So can we talk right. about financing and then we'll go into some creative options as well? Yes. Well, the Federal Housing Administration, which uh, is the part of the, the Housing and Urban Development, HUD, insures FHA loans. So a bank would give a loan to uh, a low-income person with only a 3.5% down payment, which no bank in their right mind would ever do unless the government was going to back it up if it went bad, which they do. And those loans often go bad, and we, the taxpayers, which funds the government, pick up the tab. Um, recently, there were some regulations passed where someone who had a very low credit score would actually get a better interest rate than someone who had a good credit score, which is really unfair. But there's lots of unfair things like paying off student loans, you know, for someone else that when I paid off mine, <laughs> which I literally <laughs> did real estate, you know, buying and selling real estate, I paid off all my law school and college student loans with by in the first two years of doing real estate. Um, wow. So I object <laughs> yes. uh, on things like that. Um, I don't think it'll have a mass effect because, yeah, I mean, obviously people who have who are less than qualified will result in higher default rates. I mean, as, as a matter of logic. And higher default rates means uh, the government, i.e. the taxpayers, is, are picking up the tab for the losses that the banks have when they have to foreclose a property. Um, generally speaking, though, uh, talking about the economy, and especially um, um, inflation, this is causing a lot of people to default on their loans. Um, foreclosures haven't spiked yet. But the amount of people who are defaulting like 30, 60, 90 days late on their on their homes is starting to increase because people have to choose between filling up their tank, uh, buying groceries or paying their mortgage. And if you've got a 7% mortgage and uh, you're going to the supermarket and the gas station and paying double, uh, that's gonna make it real hard to pay that mortgage. Wow, so sad. And um, foreclosures are something we really haven't seen a lot of since the 2008 to 2010. And on an investor side, there may be some opportunity there. But we always like talk about how to walk through something like that to be a blessing to the people that oh, yes. are, are having the foreclosure. And there's ways to do that. Just want everybody to know it's it's definitely an opportunity to gain property, but it's an opportunity to bless the people that are in that situation, uh, treating them kindly, giving them a good price. But I think we will see more of those. So we have got a question coming in from Texas. Arsha, welcome to the Truth and Liberty call-in show. We are so glad that you have joined us. And Arsha, you have got a question on storage units. So go ahead. Uh, I do. And Bill, I met you in several different meetings many, 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 many years ago. And so I know very well who you are. Wish I had known that you were with this group. Be great. And I'm, I want to find out. Um, I know we need to go quickly, so I will just get right okay. to my question. Uh, I really like self-storage, 
And so I would like to find out what kind of financing is available right now and what kind of lenders are doing it and if there's any non-recourse money and if you know of uh, the best locations to be able to get that financing in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots unpacked there. Well, um, this is a commercial financing, so you can expect to put a minimum of 20% down, uh, maybe even 30%, depending on the type of uh, building, how old it is, and how much deferred maintenance there is on the uh, units. Um, if you want non-recourse, and that what that means for people who are listening, is if the deal goes bad, if the loan goes into default, the bank's only option is to foreclose the property. They can't go after you personally. You're going to have to put more money down as a down payment, probably more like 35 40% down to get non-recourse financing. Now, there is some financing out there that's non-recourse that's in the Freddie Mac realm, um, but it, it's very strict, and the guidelines are very strict. For the most part, the more you put down, the more the bank will look to the property rather than you uh, for default. Now, in terms of um, you know where to buy them, uh, I found that towns that are small to medium sized are probably your best bet because if you go into bigger cities, you could get Walmarted, meaning you can buy a couple of stealth storage facilities, some small private ones, and then the big boys come into town and open up shop and they will undercut you and outservice you and put you out of business like Walmart has done to so many small hardware stores uh, and small you know, operating sporting goods stores and so forth. So um, just you got to make sure that um, th that there's that there's demand for it in that market, but not so much demand that someone like public storage might come in and just put you out of business. Arsha, does that answer your question, or do you have any follow up on that? Uh, well, I I I know that there's a lot of lenders that will not do small storage, but supposedly Correct. there are. Um, who will who sort of specialize in it, and that's what I kind of. If you happen to know what kind they are, or who they are, the best way to find them, that would be great. Well, it'd probably be your local commercial branch bank in that town would probably be your best bet to do something outside the box. But if what you're looking for, whether it be self storage or anything else, is hard to finance, well, that opens up the possibility that the seller may carry. Yeah all or part of the purchase price as being the bank themselves, meaning taking payments for their equity. So it opens up an opportunity, and if a seller knows this, they might be willing to take payments uh, and be the bank themselves for you if you're willing to pay a little more for the property. And it would reduce their tax liability on the sale. That's correct. That's correct. So when you sell a property on terms and you take payments over time, you pay the capital gains as you receive it from the buyer. So if someone's owned it for a long time and they're looking at a half million dollar or a million dollar capital gain and you offer them a term uh, of 30 years of payments um, with some reasonable amount of interest, like 4%, 4%, 5%, uh, which is much lower than market that you'd borrow at a bank, um, they could spread out that capital gain over 30 years and offer you nice terms that you don't or you're not able to get at a bank. Okay, the only other question is really, really short. I have several other, but I just one that is really short and quick. Uh, do you know of a really good software analysis program for something like self-storage or for commercial properties or both? 
Yes, I do. And I will give them a free plug. Um, if you go to landlordsoftware.com, they have a software program that'll help you evaluate any commercial property, whether it be multifamily, um, industrial, self-storage. And it's a very cheap and very nice little software program that helps you calculate returns um, for the purposes of financing, for the purposes of your own investing, or to bring in partners. That's great. Uh, Bill, say that again one more time. Landlordsoftware.com. Wow, that's great. Arsha, great question. Anything else? <laughs> we use your name. Recommendation. <laughs> yeah. It's a cheap software. You don't have to use my name for a discount. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, I appreciate it. It's great to you see and hear from you. Wish I knew you were with uh, Andrew's group. I had no idea. Thank you. Wow. Arsha, thank you so much for calling in. Um, you know, we kind of touched on this with that's sort of the creative financing, the seller carry. And there mm -hmm. was really in the two and three percent, there was no motivation for seller carry either on the buyer side or the seller side, and they're able to get whatever they want. But some of those things are coming back in. And I know that there's a lot of people that are listening or watching that they just haven't really seen real estate as being a possibility for them. So part of this is kind of, you know, giving God that new wineskin of information to start to dream about, hey, no, this is possible. This is something that you can do. But the seller financing part, I think is a little tricky on how to approach it. So can you give us, or maybe someone wants to sell, but they've got some of these capital gains that, that they're facing, but can you share with us the, the benefits of seller financing on both sides, which you've kind of already touched on, but how would you go about approaching somebody with seller financing? I know a lot of our coaching clients are, uh, you're advising them on that and they're having some success. So let's share some of that. Yeah, for a seller, as we talked about, from a tax standpoint, it's much better if they're facing uh, a long-term capital gain from owning the property a long time by spreading out the tax liability over the term of the financing. Also, a seller can get a higher price as opposed to a cash deal. If it's a cash deal and I don't have the cash, I have to borrow it at 8% or more uh, from a bank because it's commercial financing, and therefore I'm gonna offer them less. So if I said to the seller, if you're willing to take all or part of your, of your equity in payments, not only will you have to have the ability to, to defer your tax liability, uh, and I'll give you a reasonable rate of interest, probably 4% or less, which is much less than what a bank would charge, but I give the ability to give you the highest possible price. So if it's your price, fine, but my terms. Yeah, that's really good. And um, I think even stepping it through like your real estate agent, it's, it's a complication, it's a wrinkle, right? That potentially would come into a transaction. So mm -hmm. some real estate agents are just like, wow, this is too complicated. I don't even wanna approach it. So mm -hmm. I think in education as a buyer, or as a seller that you can work with your real estate agent to start to step through this, there can be some real benefits. Now, if somebody is selling and they've been in their house for a long time, um, they get to, they don't pay taxes up to, is it $400,000 right now, Bill? Of, it's of, 250 as an individual, 500 as a couple. So in California, if you bought it for, you know, 500,000 years ago, and now you're selling it for 3 million, 
that's only scratching the surface. <laughs> that's so, true. And that's uh, or, or, a scenario. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a rental property, then there is no exclusion like that. So right. you have no choice but to but to defer your tax liability uh, uh, by offering um, sweet terms to a buyer by taking back payments. And believe it or not, more than 40% of single family homes in America are owned without a mortgage, free and clear. So there's a lot of people out there, a lot of sellers, especially landlords, a lot of tired landlords now. Um, landlords mm -hmm. have, took a big hit during COVID with a lot of defaults and a lot of regulations that wouldn't allow them to evict people and they're burnt out um but they still want the income but they don't want to deal with tenants so if you find a landlord who's got maybe more than one maybe maybe a dozen properties free and clear and they're willing to sell it to you with owner financing you could put less money down you can get a lower interest rate than a bank and you can get into a property uh or a bunch of properties rather quickly and build your net worth very very fast Wow, I think that is a great strategy for people to, to start to go into. Um, I know years ago there was assumable loans where if mm -hmm. somebody had a good interest rate, uh, you would be able to assume that loan. Is that right. even available today, Bill? Some loans are assumable, but they're assumable if you qualify. It's not freely assumable. Back in the uh, in the mid-80s and before, you could just take over a loan and just assume it with no bank permission. Now the bank must qualify you as a buyer as if you were getting the loan from, from scratch. And the only real advantage there is if the loan's been paid down, let's say, for six or seven years, then you've only got maybe 23 years left, which is good. Um, and if it has a really good interest rate, but a lot of banks in the assumption process are stepping up the interest rate to market to allow you to assume it, so that real that that low interest rate benefit really isn't there. Um, commercial, there's much more opportunity there, I think, for assuming loans. And let's talk about the commercial market for a moment. Um, that is really taken a hit in the news and with studies that the commercial market is is basically in trouble. Uh, so, Bill, what is your thoughts on that? And is there any segment of the commercial market that you feel is, I mean, self-storage has is, is traditionally been a great investment. Mm -hmm. Is there mm -hmm. any other areas or some maybe to stay away from right now or areas to start to go in and look for an opportunity? Well, the old expression, location, 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 um, definitely applies here. I would generally say that office buildings are a loser because people are working from home more and Zoom changed the world. True. <laughs> so, so true. So office buildings are, are, are hurting badly, but not all. I mean, it depends on the location and the age of the building and uh, the, the you know what they're charging for rent and so forth. So not all office is bad, but generally office is bad. Um, Multifamily on the high end that we call A-class, those are the brand new stuff or the really high rent stuff is starting to suffer a little bit uh, because they just built so much of it over the last 10 years that there's too much competition, they're dropping rents. But on the lower side, what we call the, um, you know, the blue collar, what we call C-class, there's A, B, C, D. A is the beautiful stuff we'd like to live in. D is, well, I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> um, and B is, 
little older that used to be an A maybe, and C is a little older than that. <laughs> so somewhere between C and B is the sweet spot where there's an opportunity to make money, especially if there's an opportunity to renovate it and get more rents. Uh, as opposed to if you look for a building that's completely you know, running beautifully and there's no deferred maintenance and it's all full, you're not gonna get a deal. So you have to be willing to have the stomach to go into something that's not so pretty, um, maybe has a little problems with management and crime and uh, clean it up and, and renovate it and turn it over over a few years and, and make a, s a substantial profit. Yeah, and, and you know, not only is it a profit, it's also like Dan Dyer, who's a friend of ours, he's, he mm -hmm. teaches um, actually here in the business school and he's at the Wealth Builders. I mean, his mm -hmm. passion is to take those waste places that's described in the Bible and really turn mm -hmm. them around into something that's flourishing. Yeah. And so even in what we're talking about, obviously it's something that is going to bless us and bring uh, money and increase to us because that's God's will for our life that we can you know, ex help expand the kingdom and support things. Things. But also when we go in and we do things like that with real estate, we are really taking the land, which is God's land, by the way, and we are stewarding it and we are bringing it back. I like to say to it's, you know, maybe former beauty or or something that is creating a safe space, a beautiful Place for people. So in that, going in and looking for those deals, I know it's a lot of work. Uh, like I said, we've got a couple of flips going right now that were pretty scary going into it. <laughs> but what we have seen when we pursued that, the neighbors are coming over and they're saying, thank you. Um, it's just like, it's, it's turning their neighborhood. It's helping them it's this, with this investment. When a neighbor moved in next door and trashed a place and was a bad neighbor, that wasn't something that they could control. But when we just say, this is part of our purpose that we're going to do, go in and create beautiful spaces. We are really transforming neighborhoods one house at a time, or like you describe, you know, one commercial building at a time, or how many down towns right now are really suffering, that if someone had a passion for that, that we could, you know, bring the Lord into these spaces. So I just um, love the opportunity that's out there right now. We only have about a minute left, and I do want to just have you touch on one additional topic, and, and that is rental rates. There's a lot of apartments that are going up. Um, a lot of people are thinking, well, if I buy a house at a high interest rate, uh, will what's going to happen to rents? Will they go down? Will they hold? So, Bill, mm -hmm. what typically happens in this type of a an economic environment with rental rates? Well, as I said, it's location, 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 and it's also supply versus demand. So, if you buy in the right neighborhoods where you can get the rents for the properties, and it's usually the same thing with multifamily. It's the B to C neighborhoods. The 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 older homes the starter homes that rent very well compared to the mortgage payment even at seven percent interest you can usually do pretty well in the right neighborhoods awesome all right well this has been wonderful bill i can't thank you enough for being a part of this and all of you that are a part of truth and liberty thank you so much for connecting with andrew and uh, truth and liberty it's just such a, an honor to have shared this time with you and um, again we just want to encourage you to support truth and liberty if you want to learn more about some of the things we've talked about go to wealthbuilders.org god bless you and have an amazing rest of your day.
Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.